Mark chapter number 7. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, oft eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then when the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why won't not thy disciples, according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold to the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandments of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, ye shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. When he had called all the people unto him, and said, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from without a man that entereth into him that can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. When he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, and he said unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats? And he said, That which cometh out of the man is that defileth a man. From within and out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications and murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. Uh, this morning I'm going to preach on the subject of a dirty hands but a defiled heart. In April of 2020, I went to work. I had missed the day before. I showed up to work and the parking lot was empty. I had missed the previous day and didn't realize or that we were told to work from home because of COVID. So a little bit later on that day, somebody else showed up and there's two or three more people that were there, but the building was empty. The lights were off and it was just a very uh, strange situation. Um, later I, I went to the restroom in there and I was washing my hands and I was drying my hands. There was somebody in the stall and he said, you know, that was a, that was a good job washing your hands. It was well over 30 seconds, so good job. 
So I didn't know who that guy was, and I didn't really, what do you say in a situation like that? Some, no one had ever complimented me on how good I washed my hands since uh, I was three years old. My mom was teaching me how to do it, right? But, but I was thinking, here's this guy counting how many seconds I washed my hands to make sure that I was washing my hands the right amount of time, then felt compelled to compliment me on it. It was, a, it was very, very strange. But we know why, because of, of germs, right? And when we read this, you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with washing your hands? You ought to wash your hands. You ought to wash your plates and your pots. And that's, a, that's the right thing to do. But see, the, the Pharisees, they, didn't, they weren't thinking about germs, and they weren't thinking about dirt in that sense. They were thinking about holiness and cleanliness. So we went through, a, a, in our country and everything, we went through a big conversation and so forth about washing your hands. Well, that was a big conversation in Jesus' day, but not because of, of washing, off, washing germs, but because of washing away sin and defilement. So there was a big controversy. People talked about it and, and debated it and, and took a lot of uh, time and investment and thought into washing off. Not because uh, of sickness and so forth, but because of holiness. And that's the situation here. It's kind of, we have to, we have to get back into to the, what they were talking about and, and think about the controversies of the time. So that's why it was a big deal when the Pharisees saw the disciples eating without washing their hands first. Because it, it had spiritual connotations there. And there was a spiritual element to that that they were concerned about. So we've been going through Mark. And the last time we saw the scribes and the Pharisees, um, we're back in chapter 3. We left the Pharisees, and they were plotting to destroy Jesus, it says. And later on in the chapter, the scribes were accusing him of working by the power of the devil. And the power of Beelzebub, and they committed the unpardonable sin. And since that time... They've just been out of the picture, and Jesus has been healing people and, and doing miracles and, and these types of things. But now they've come back. And we've seen the multitudes coming to Jesus to be healed of sicknesses. We've seen the multitudes coming to Jesus, bringing their friends who are paralyzed, even coming to Jesus um, because their daughter um, had, had died to be risen from the dead. The multitudes coming to hear Jesus teach. But the scribes and the Pharisees come back and what do they do? They look to find fault. They're not coming for healing or instruction, but they come to criticize and to try to catch Jesus doing something wrong. So they're watching. And they're watching every move they make and they think they've got him here because the disciples were defiled. They didn't go and wash before they ate their food. The Pharisees and the scribes had a tradition of washing up before meals. In their view, it was a terrible thing to eat without washing your hands. And I don't mean just running them under the water. And I doubt that they sang the alphabet song like you were supposed to do to make sure you washed your hands long enough. But they did say that you had to wash from the tip of your finger up to the elbow before you could eat. You couldn't just wash your hands. It was your whole arm, like they were going into surgery or something. They had to wash everything. Mark explains 
when our reading there that when they came from the market, they wouldn't eat until they were thoroughly washed. And in fact, the, the, the word there behind that wash is to be immersed. So it's very likely, in some sense, if they went to town, they would come back and immerse themselves. They'd take a bath, head to toe. Because they, they would, it, it, I mean, the same word for baptism, they, they would immerse themselves and wash because of spiritual defilement. You never know who you're going to run into when you get to the market. There could have been some unsavory character there that bumped into them. And then their sin would have rubbed off on them. Their wickedness would have come in contact with them and then they would have been wicked. And, you know, you couldn't, couldn't have that. It wasn't limited to hands. They washed their cups, their pots, even their tables, Mark said. There was this whole tradition of, of washing off to, to cleanse themselves of outward defilement of the not right kind of people. Mark tells us in the third verse that this was the tradition of the elders. This is something that was passed down from one generation to the other. And if you ask them why, they would have told you, well, according to the elders, this is what it's taught in the Word of God. I read John Gill, and he was quoting one of the old Jewish writers, commentators, and it said that he that despiseth washing of hands shall be rooted out of the world, for it is in the secret of the Decalogue. So this tradition of washing the hands, if you would have asked, well, what happens if you don't wash your hands? You'll be rooted out of this world. God will judge you. He'll bring judgment, and you will die. You have the judgment of God on you. And then you say, well, where do you find that in the scripture? It's the secret of the Decalogue. It's the secret of the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are up here in the wall, and if you guys can find washing hands up there, you can let me know, but I don't think it's there. I don't see thou shalt wash your hands before you eat bread up there. But what did they do? They took that, and they said, well, and they would infer things, and they would add to and they would guess and make suppositions and add all these things to make their tradition. Now we know from the scriptures that being pure not only was recommended, but it was commanded in the Old Testament. So there's a couple verses in Leviticus I'm going to, I'm going to read. But this idea of washing and staying clean, staying pure is not, they didn't invent it out of the air. They um, inferred it from, from the law. So Leviticus 11 and verse 43. So it says here, you shall not make yourselves an abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall you make yourselves unclean by them, that you should be defiled thereby. For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore sanctify yourselves and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Ye shall ne- ye shall, uh, neither shall ye dis- defile yourself with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. And so there's a law of, of beasts and what you can eat and all sorts of things. And, and God says, don't defile yourself. You are separate. You're not like everybody else. You are separate. So don't eat these things. And then you go on, don't wear these things, don't 
touch these things. The whole book of Leviticus has those types of instructions. So in chapter 15, verse 31, for example, um, chapter 15, verse 31, it says, even as he is able to get one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering, a meat offering, um, the meat offering and the priest shall make an atonement for him that is to be cleansed before the Lord. And so you have offerings of cleansing, and, and you can read that whole chapter. It, it talks about cleansing and, and being clean and being uh, washed um, from, from defilement. Um, and then the last one in chapter 18 and verse 24, it says, Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. So there is, there are passages where God said, you are a separate people. You're supposed to be holy. You're not like all the other nations. And so I want you to eat these things and not eat those things. I want you to wear these clothes and not wear those clothes. I want you uh, to offer these sacrifices in this way because you don't, are not to be defiled by the other nations. We've already seen three times in the book of Mark that according to the Old Testament, you can become unclean through coming in contact with the unclean. So Jesus touched the leper. You weren't supposed to touch the leper because we, if we read from the Old Testament, if you touch the leper, then you become unclean as well. Or the woman with the issue of blood. Right. So we've already seen that the law says if you, if you touch those things, you become defiled. Those are clear in the scripture. But what the Pharisees had done is said, okay, well, that's what the Bible says. So what we need to do is we need to expand it. We need to add to it. And we need to um, put in some new regulations. Because what if we do something by accident that we didn't know that we were doing? Or what if, what if we became unclean by touching a Gentile and we didn't know it was a Gentile? Or, you know, things such as that. So they started adding too. And so they, it probably started that someone came home and was washing their hands and said, what are, you, what are you washing your hands for? Well, I think I may have touched somebody that has leprosy. I don't know. So I'm just going to be safe and, and wash. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to start doing that too. And you, know, you can just imagine how these kinds of things spread. And then you get three generations down and you ask somebody why. Well, that's the way we've always done it. We've always washed hands in this way. We've always done it in this manner, and, and that's what God says. You ever talk to somebody that, that you ask them, why do you sing from that hymn book? Well, that's what the Bible says. You're supposed to sing from that hymn book. You know, not something that extreme, but along those lines, right? It's just because that's the way you've always done it. You just assume it's in the Bible, and that's what it, what it says. It becomes tradition. They were born into it. That's the way they've always done it, and they never really even thought about it. I was reading a book about World War II and the, uh, the infantry was going through their drills and they were loading the cannon and they didn't have the cannon there and so they were just pretending like they had it but going through the drills. And one of the guys would go and he'd walk around the cannon and he would stand there and he'd hold his hand up in the air like this. And then they'd go through and shoot the cannon then he'd let go and, and, and walk around and go back to work. 
And one of the, the leaders was watching this, and he asked, he said, why is this guy walking around putting his hand up in the air? And the drill instructor said, well, I don't know. It's in the guidebook. That's what we're supposed to do. This guy's supposed to walk over there, and he, he puts his hand up in the air, and that's the way I was taught, and that's the way I've taught them. That's the way we've always done it. Well, the guy goes and starts investigating and come to find out in that drill, the guy that walked over there and held his hand up, he was holding the horse. <laughs> and he was holding the bridles of the horse while they shot the cannon so the horse wouldn't run away. And here they were in World War II, not having horses and such, but they were still doing that. And you ask them why, well, that's the way we've always done it. It's tradition. You have to do it that way. This guy has to stand there. So it become tradition. But for the Jews, it wasn't just doing something that they didn't have to do, it became like sin. So now they're saying the disciples are sinning because they didn't wash their hands. So they saw Jesus, how can this holy man have disciples that would eat before they washed their hands? They've gone against all the tradition of the elders. How could he be so sinful? Well, Jesus... So there's, there's your dirty hands. There's your dirty hands. And so Jesus comes, and for the second part, he gets to the root of the dispute. Jesus says, says who? Says who? You know, I always think that, you know, the kids say like to say that. You have to do that. Says who? Well, sometimes that's a good question to ask. Who says we, I, I have to do that? Who, who says I have to? to obey. Well, Jesus asked them that. What's, what's the Lord going to say? You've got these top men who just called out the disciples for sinning. So Jesus doesn't answer the question, but he just rejects the whole premise of the question to start with. So you could, you could probably imagine how this would go. Why are you eating with unwashed hands? Well, in this scenario, I don't have to wash my hands because I haven't been around anybody that would make me have to wash your hands. Yeah, but the tradition says you have to wash your hands. Yeah, but the tradition also says it's when you come home from the market. And you could see how two people could start going back and forth and arguing about it. Jesus just stops the whole thing by saying, I reject the premise altogether. I'm not going to argue about whether you should wash your hands or not wash your hands. I think the whole the whole debate is wrong from the very start. He challenges the premise of the tradition altogether. He gets to the authority of it. So the Jews would argue about the tradition and the boundaries. And then people who would argue with them would say, well, I think you've taken the boundaries too far. And they'd say, well, the fence ought to be right here. No, the fence ought to be over here. Jesus comes along and says, who built the fence to start with? I think the whole fence is wrong. You want to argue if the fence ought to be 10 foot tall as opposed to 5 foot tall. Jesus says there shouldn't be a fence here anyway. The Pharisees were expecting Jesus to either defend his position or confess a crime. But Jesus says, by what grounds is what I'm doing wrong? Because this is all made up. It's all tradition. It has no root in authority. The Pharisees and the scribes thought they honored God with their tradition. He answered in verse 6, 
talking about that, saying that you're a bunch of hypocrites. Because you have elevated your tradition to be on par with God. See, there's nothing wrong, per se, with tradition. A tradition is just something that is passed down from one person to another. 2 Thessalonians 3.6, Paul talks about the tradition. But that tradition came from the apostles. 1 Corinthians 11.2, same thing. Well, I said 1 Thessalonians, so it should be 2 Thessalonians. But uh, there's nothing wrong with a tradition, per se. 2 Thessalonians 3.6 Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Along the same lines in 1 Corinthians 11.2 There's nothing wrong with that. Because it all boils down to who's passing down the tradition and why. It comes down to says who. Who passes down the tradition? A touchdown pass is a good thing if your quarterback is throwing the touchdown pass to your wide receiver. You know, that's a good pass, passing from one to the other. But it's not such a good pass if your quarterback throws a touchdown pass to the the safety on the other team, and he scores a touchdown for his team. You know, that, that's a bad pass passed down to the wrong player. So a tradition is something that's passed down, and here's a tradition that the apostle passed down to the church. That's a good tradition, because the apostle got that from God himself. So this is something that God had inspired, given to the apostles. The apostles told the church, and the church received that. And so we have that in the scriptures, and that's passed down to us. The Lord's Supper is a tradition that has been passed down to us. That's a good thing because of who started it. Jesus started it, and Jesus told us to continue. That's why we're, we try to be very particular in how we take the Lord's Supper and how we baptize, because of who it came from, what it symbolizes, and who told us to do it. But not all traditions are good. The value of a tradition depends on who hands it down to you and for what purpose. So Jesus says, says who? Says who that I have to wash my hands? Who said that? And, and why do I have to listen to him? We can very easily make laws, but you know when we make a law, we make it to the way that we can keep it. When we measure if we're a good person or not, and we make the standard, we make our standard of being a good person what we're already doing to start with. We, we measure ourselves by ourselves. And that's what the, these traditions were doing. They were measuring themselves by the standards that they had set up. And then if, if they weren't walking according to their own standards, then they could condemn people. Jesus said they were a bunch of hypocrites. They were quoting Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 29, 13. Jesus said, you're like a bunch of actors up on the stage worshiping God. But your heart was far, far from the Lord. 
You may watch a television show and the character is a deeply religious person in the television show. And they're so convincing that you might think, well, this person's probably a Christian in real life. But then you find out that that person is just a wicked unbeliever. I watched a show once and the, the character was a preacher and he quoted the Bible and you know, you just start, you watch that and you think, oh, well, this must, man must know the Lord because he quotes the Bible and prays on the show and everything and come to find out he was a, a terribly wicked man. He was a good actor. Well, that's what a hypocrite is. They're just a good actor. They can say the right things and look the part. And Jesus said, you religious people here, washing your hands, acting holy, you're actors. You put on a show for everyone, but in your heart, you're not worshiping God at all. It's empty. It's vain. It's pointless. You're not true. You're not who you say you are. In vain do they worship me, he says in verse 7. Vanity. Nothing. It's like a fog. The man loves religion. People love religion. People love to worship something and do something. People love to be involved and to put their heart into something and lift something up. People love to sing praises. People love to idolize things. And what happens, tradition becomes part of worshiping God. And the longer tradition goes, the more tradition becomes entangled with the worshiping of God. To the point where if you don't do it in the way of the tradition, you're sinning against God. I used to... um, I used to go around and fill in for people whenever pastors were out of town. I'd go and preach for them. They'd go on vacation. I'd travel their church and, and so forth. And, and one time I went and I filled in for the pastor and the church that I was a member of, we, we closed in prayer and, um, you know, the, and then we left for the day. Well, the church that I went to, I didn't know, but they had always uh, sang a hymn at the end and then the pastor would say a few more words after the hymn and then they would pray and then they would dismiss well um, I asked the song leader I said would you uh, would you pray for us and he just looked at me like I had said a dirty word in the middle of the church he just couldn't believe what was happening and then afterwards he said what were you doing you didn't close in a hymn I said well I didn't know I was supposed to I said I'm sorry I I didn't know. He said, we always do that. And I said, well, I didn't know. I've never been here before. I didn't know you always did that. And he was really upset that we didn't do it the right way. Well, later on the evening, I preached the evening service. And uh, so I got done preaching. I said, okay, would you come lead us in the hymn? And he just looked at me. He said, well, I didn't have a hymn. (laughs) He said, you didn't have one this morning. I didn't think he was going to have one this evening. So I I just gave up. But it was a tradition. But that tradition had become so ingrained that that if you did it any other way it was wrong and so it took on some authority and Jesus said your traditions have have grown to the point that keeping the tradition trumps keeping the word of God tradition wasn't just something that kept things running smoothly And it wasn't just on par with the Word of God. It trumped Scripture. 
In an attempt to worship God, they ignored what God actually said and focused on what they did. Then they enforced their tradition as part of the, the law to the point where they just throw the scriptures out the window and the tradition was what was important. Verse 9 is really a scathing bit of irony. Jesus says, full well, you reject the commandments of God. Full well is meaning you're really doing a great job. You are full well keeping the commandments. Just a wonderful job. Just a great job. And so Jesus is, is giving this ironic answer to what they're doing. Adam Clark said, you can think of it this way, how noble is your conduct? From your conscientious attachment to your own traditions, you've annihilated the commandments of God. Great job. You guys are doing such a great job keeping the commandments. You're doing such a wonderful job. you full well keeping the commandments. You're such strong men that you'll trample over the word of God to keep your traditions. Well done, everyone. Let nothing stand in your way from keeping your traditions, especially the Bible. As long as your traditions are pure, as long as you're keeping those, um, that's what's important. So, ouch, right? That, he, he put, he, Jesus hit the nail on the head because that, that's what they were doing. It doesn't matter what God says as long as you keep your traditions. So Jesus gives an example. If you don't believe me, for example, Moses says to honor your father and your mother. Or if you curse mom and dad, let him die to death. That's what the law says. That's God's command. And so they didn't have social security um, in those days. They didn't have health insurance in those days. And what, what would happen to somebody if they're, when you get old and then you can't work and you can't, uh, you can't, uh, there's, there's no doctoring or any such thing. What's going to happen? Well, the children are supposed to, to take care of their parents, They're supposed to honor them, They're supposed to take care of them. Well, Jesus said, okay, that's the law of God. But here's what you guys do your parents say, I don't have any food. The cupboards are bare. I don't think you and your dad are going to make it. I don't think me and your dad's going to make it, the mom might say. We're, we're just, we're at our wit's end. We don't have any food. Well, the, the son would say, well, mom and dad, I'd love to help you, but all my money is wrapped up in Corbin, and uh, I, I just, I don't have any money. So what Corbin is, Mark tells us verse 11, that is to say, a gift. And so the tradition said that you could appropriate your funds for God's work. And so you could say, I'm going to give my money to the Lord's work. Well, not right now I'm not going to, but, but I have appropriated these funds for religious purposes. And so I don't have any money. I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, there's nothing I can do. They dedicated their money 
and they'd tell their parents they didn't have any money. So they developed a system in their minds, a loophole around this, where they would uh, take their books and move their funds from one line to another and say they didn't have any money. So go, to go back to COVID, so when the state received federal money for COVID, there's all kinds of rules around it. And you take that money, you have to play by the rules. So let's just say, for example, the state received a million dollars for COVID money. But they say, you can have this million dollars, but you have to spend it on these items. You have to buy gloves, you have to buy masks, you have to buy um, hand sanitizer, all these types. This is what you can spend it on. But you can't spend it on anything else. So the state has a million dollars sitting there. And then you got a million dollars worth of potholes on a mile stretch of I-79. And you go to your, your representative and say, why don't you fix these potholes? And they say, well, we don't have any money to fix them. We don't have a dime. We, don't, we can't fill those potholes because we don't have any money. And you can say, well, you've got a million dollars sitting right here. Yeah, but that's for something else. So even though they had the money, they got it. They got appropriated on this other ledger, and they said we don't. And that's how they can say we don't have any money when they got lots of money. And that's what the Jews did. They said, "Yeah, I've got ten thousand dollars in the bank, but that's for something else." So really, I don't have any money. It's all dedicated to the to the work of the temple. It's all dedicated to something else. So sorry, mom, dad, I, I can't help you. But you know what they would do? They'd never spend the money except when they could justify it for something. So if they needed something, they said, well, I can take, I can use it, but you can't have it. It's just a shell game. It was accounting nonsense. They made the word of God none effect by their tradition. And so they would say, are you uh, obeying the commandment to honor your father and the mother? Of course I am. Are you going to buy groceries for your mom and dad? Well, I can't, I don't have any money. Because I'm so spiritual, all my money goes to the work of the Lord. Where's all your money now? Is it in the work of the Lord? Well, no, it's, it's, it's in, in, in the bank. It's in the treasury. You know, I've got it still, but one of these days, there's going to be something really important that, that I've got to keep this money for. So this is just one example of how they made the word of God none effect through their tradition. They didn't want to do something, and they'd, they'd figure out a way to get around it. And it wasn't just this. This is just one example. That's what Jesus said. Many such things like you do. You, know, you, do, you do this all kinds of different ways. The washing is just one more example. They weren't concerned with holiness. They weren't concerned with pleasing God. See, the Levitical codes had a purpose. They were a set-apart people. God chose them. And you can go back and read the passage that we read first in Leviticus. God chose them. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. He set them apart. And he said, you be holy like I am holy. It was about sanctification. It was an outward picture of the inward work of God. So no, wearing mixed fabric did not make them inwardly pure. But it was a reminder that God had called them and chose them and set them apart. 
And so why don't we wear mixed fabrics like everyone else, Dad? Well, because God called us out of Egypt. He made us a nation of our own, and we're a separate people. That's why we, we don't mix our, uh, our garden up. And, and that's why we plant our garden a certain way. That's why we eat certain foods. That's why we dress a certain way. Because God wants us to be separate from all the nations. It was, a, it was a sign to remind them that God is holy. God is above all. He is holy. And we're not. But what they had done was they had made it to where if you wash these things, then you are, you are, that makes you holy. And if you do these things, that makes you holy. And if you add to the word of God, then you're really holy. They redefined what the purpose of the law was, even down to what they were supposed to do. They built their tradition on that interpretation. Then by the time you get to Jesus' day, it was all vain worship and play acting. Because they didn't care about the heart of the law. They didn't care about what God said. It was all about outward appearances. Well, thirdly and finally, we get down to the deeper clean. So we had dirty hands to start with. And then Jesus challenges the authority. But then verse 14, he, he answers the question. He didn't give the answer to the scribes and the Pharisees. He just got to the heart of the question. But now he's going to answer what the scribes and the Pharisees said, but he's not going to tell them. He's going to tell everybody else. Because Jesus knew that what they were up to. He knew that they were just looking to find fault. So he turns to everybody else and he tells them, hearken unto me, I want you to listen. There's nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile him. So the, the Jews would say, well, I'm not going to eat until I wash my hands because I might have sin on my hands. And if I eat without washing that sin off my hands, then that sin is going to get in my body and then I'm going to be defiled. Then I'm not going to be holy. So what I need to do is wash the, wash the sin off my hands. Wash the Gentiles off my hands. Wash the dirty, um, wicked people. Because there might be some Jews out there that, that are not as holy as I am. And what if I touched them by mistake? Then it's going to get all over me and then I'm going to be uh, outside the people of God. So i got to wash my hands and that way I'll be real holy. Jesus said there's nothing that can go in a man that's going to defile and make him clean or unclean. He said it's not what goes in, it's what comes out is, un is unclean. The whole debate was about eating and washing. Jesus said, it's not about what goes in, but about what comes out. So now, everybody goes home. The disciples pull Jesus aside when, once they get in the house, in verse 17. And uh, they say, hey, Jesus, uh, I got a few questions about that parable. I'm confused. In verse 18, he said, Are ye so without understanding also? Now this is pretty biting as well. He said, Are you also? Don't tell me you guys don't understand what I'm saying. After all you've heard me talk, after, or teach, after all you've heard me teach, after being around me for so long, 
after hearing what I said to the Pharisees, and after listening to the parable, you still don't understand. Well, these guys had grown up in this tradition. That's the way things always have been. And that's a hard paradigm to break out of. To think, well, that's the way we've always done it. You know, if you, if you grow up a certain way and you don't even know that people do things differently, and then all of a sudden someone does something differently, that's a hard thing to say, well, maybe I've always been wrong. It's, it's just they never even thought about it before. And Jesus wonders how they can be so dull that they can't listen to what he's saying and see the folly in the Pharisees. Because the disciples have the same starting point as the Pharisees do. That, that what goes in will defile you. They can't break out of that thought. See, we ought to pay careful attention to this because the Lord wasn't happy with them because they weren't thinking about God's word rightly. They were thinking about it like they've always thought about it. They thought about the Bible like they had always thought about it before. But they weren't thinking about it the way the Lord thought about it. See, that's very important. You might think about the Bible the way you've always thought about it. It's a book full of stories. It's a book full of things you ought to do, but um, it's a book that tells you these things and that things, but, but maybe you've always thought about it incorrectly. Maybe you've never stopped to think about that the Bible isn't just a big rule book, but the Bible is God's revelation of himself and the story of redemption of how God, how we have fallen from God, but God has provided a way of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never thought about the Bible as not being a, a moral storybook that, that tells little kids nice stories of how to good, be good boys and girls, but it tells us how that Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sins. And the whole paradigm of the way that you read the Bible has to be, uh, you have to start over again. You say, wow, this book is not about how I can be better, but this book is how I can be saved. We have to be on guard and think about things the way that Jesus tells us to think about things. Food doesn't defile a person. Food doesn't make a person unholy or holy. Because it's not what goes in, but what comes out. Even the food laws in Leviticus didn't make him holy or unholy. That was never the point. In verse 20, he said, um, That which cometh out of the man defileth the man. From within, out of the heart of men, perceive evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things don't, get, don't happen by accident. All these things don't happen because you eat the wrong food. You don't have evil thoughts because you didn't wash your hands. And washing your hands before you eat is not going to cleanse you of those evil thoughts. A man might look after a woman and lust in his heart. It doesn't matter how many times you wash your hands. It's not, that's not going to fix it. You could, pour, uh, you could pour Dawn straight into your eyes, and that's not going to fix it. 
right? It's not what goes in, but it's what comes out. It's all heart sin. You could, you could dress in a very particular way on the outside, but that's going to mean you're not going to be covetous anymore. It's a heart issue. And that gets to the, that gets to the heart of the matter. It's not that... If, if the issue was touching something and becoming sinful, then all you have to do is wash your hands and that's it. It's easy to keep that tradition. It's easy to keep that tradition and create rules for yourself based upon a tradition because you can easily keep it. And if you can't keep it, you can just modify it a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to help mom and dad, but I'll just modify it a little bit and dedicate my money to something else. And we can do that. You can create rules for yourself. Well, you know, I, I don't say bad words. Well, not too bad words. There are some words I say that are bad, but, but I don't say the really bad ones. I don't watch bad things on TV. Well, not really bad things. I mean, they're kind of bad, but, but they're not too bad. So uh, I'm a good person. I don't watch things like those people watch, but I'm a good person. I think bad thoughts, but they're not too bad. You know, I lie, but they're just little lies. It's not like those people over there are really bad liars, right? So we can, we can structure our own set of morality to make ourselves a pretty good person. And it's no different than the washing of the hands. It's just setting up laws for ourselves that we can keep and then judging ourselves by those laws. But Jesus says it's not the outside that matters, it's the inside. It's what God says this matters. Our stains go way too deep that washing the hands just can't clean them. You can reform yourself and you can stop doing bad things, but that's not going to stop your heart. That's not going to clean your heart. There's no amount of cleaning, there's no amount of scrubbing to get down deep enough into your soul. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. It's not what you do religiously that cleans your soul because sin is in the heart. And there's no amount of works that you can do to change that or no amount of cleaning you can do. That's why we need a deeper clean than what soap and water can provide. That's why we need the blood of Jesus. Because we are stained as scarlet. Our hands are stained. And we wash and we wash and we wash and you can't get that stain of sin off. You can't go back in time and change things. You can't go back and fix things. You can't go back and, and get a new heart. You can reform, you can try to do better, but, but what it all comes down to is a heart issue. You can't change who you are. You can't change who you are down deep. But Jesus died for our sins to wash us clean. And though our sins be as scarlet, we shall be white as snow. But Christ can cleanse us. He can make you clean. Wouldn't that be a lot better than making up rules and trying to, to make yourself clean and, and setting up all these standards and regulations and laws? Bureaucracy? Boy, that, that would drive me crazy having all these rules and and 
this bureaucracy that you have to try to make yourself holy? Because it'll never work. You never keep up with it all. But wouldn't you like to be clean? Wouldn't you like to be pure? Wouldn't you like to be holy? Well, Jesus can make you so. He can cleanse you of your sin, and he'll give you his righteousness. And you can stand before God clean, clean and pure and holy and righteous, and he'll get down into the heart. And he'll get down and clean you and make you whole. By coming to him and by faith. By confessing your sins and, and coming to Christ for healing. Jesus will clean deep down and make you righteous and make you pure. And then you stand before him without spot or without wrinkle. Jesus shows the emptiness of religion, the emptiness of reformation, the emptiness of trying to get to God through outside works, the vanity of religion religion and works. He says, come to me. Come to me and I'll clean you. Come to me and I'll make you pure. Come to me and I'll take care of all your unrighteousness. I'll give you my righteousness and you'll stand before me um, and in me and whole and clean and pure. All by faith, by trusting in his work. There you'll have the forgiveness of sin.